What an honor it is to be together as brothers and sisters this evening. Why don't you sit down for a second? Uh, band, if you need to sit, sit too, because I'm not quite sure what we're going to do just yet, but might be here for a little bit. I want to welcome everybody. If we have anybody join us for the very first time tonight, great that you're here. Uh, welcome. We love you. We're glad that you uh, decided to hang out with us on a Wednesday. My name is Zach, and I'm the campus pastor for this location, and we say welcome. Let's just celebrate our guests that might be joining us. That's great. We want to be able to connect with you, so there's a connect card in the seat in pocket in front of you if you are visiting with us for the very first time. Fill that thing out. Uh, drop it in one of the offering buckets or uh, in one of the connect card boxes in the foyer, and we'd love to be able just to connect with you and maybe answer some questions you have or uh, be able to pray with you about a specific need that you have going on in your life. Um, I want to just at this time encourage you that uh, it is part of our worship to give tithes and offerings. And if you'd like to do that tonight, if we can make one small adjustment with the ushers, can we just, ushers that are in the room, can we just have the buckets at the back, at the table back there? Just get some buckets back there and some point in the service, either while I'm talking or while we're worshiping, if you'd like to just give, you can give that way. If you're a guest with us, no pressure, obligation to give. Uh, There's really nothing that we want from you. There's a lot that we want for you. And I pray that you are blessed tonight and that you have a great time in God's presence and with God's people. If you do want to give, you can also give through the app. However you do, it's all worship to God. So uh, I just uh, had some things on my heart today. Um, And today has been a really busy day. Everybody else had a busy day besides me. So my day started early and and, uh, I was doing things today that I don't normally do. Uh, like sweat a lot and move furniture, and there was just things going on there, and uh, and uh, just being able to slow down and and be able to connect what I felt in my spirit for you guys tonight. And uh, uh, man, weren't you guys just blessed with Pastor Lee on Sunday? Wasn't that awesome? His message was so timely and so good, and and uh, really excited to have Pastor Jim uh, Robinson with us on Sunday at all of our services. My family, we're going to be going to Colorado to minister at the Woodland Park campus on Sunday there. So be praying for us as we travel and uh, we're going to have a great time. We'll miss everybody, uh, but I'll be honest, uh, I I need a break from this this Oklahoma hot weather. So we're going to go in the mountains for a little bit and cool off and uh, hopefully come back to you fresh and, and ready to go. So tonight I want to talk to you about hope. And uh, I don't think this will be very long. Uh, some of you are, are laughing, but I don't think this would be very long. But there's something about that song. And I, and I didn't look at the order of service. So I didn't know what song we were going to do. Uh, but I love that song uh, that we did. What's the name of that song? Say it again. Oh, praise the name. That's the name of the song. And it's a great song. And, you know, I was uh, just reading some scriptures today in the middle of all of my, all of my busyness. And uh, I want to read one to you here. And then what I want us to do is I, I want us to worship again uh, with that song. And, and I told you I want to talk about hope specifically tonight. And this is the thing I want us to, to understand with hope is that all of us have a hope for something. All of, us, all of us are having a hope for something or we're placing our hope in something. And I have this like uh, coming out of Jubilee, um, I, I've had this, uh, this fire stir up in me in regards to just... Uh, prophetically timely things that I think the church in America needs to hear. And I haven't been given at this point in time uh, in, in my call and in ministry a voice at a global level. I've been given a voice in the confines of this country. 
and I love this country, and I love the believers in this country, so I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity that God's given me and speak to the church uh, in, in America. And this is what I've, this is what I've seen, and um, I'm somebody who likes to sit back and observe. Anybody like me like to sit back and observe and kind of just watch? And what I have found is, is that um, within our culture uh, as Americans, there's a lot of things that are unhealthy. There's a lot of things about American culture that's unhealthy. And a lot of things about American culture that are unhealthy have found its way into the American church and is causing unhealth amongst God's people. I don't know if you know this or not, but we are living at an unsustainably fast pace of life. And we are, you need no help in today's culture. You don't need any help at all. And culture, just so you know, uh, the way I've heard Pastor Jacob say it, and I love it, is that when we talk about culture, we're talking about the same thing that the water is for the fish. Uh, a fish doesn't know it's in water because it's everywhere and in them as well. Culture is a thing that we're immersed in and that's around us. And it takes us actually slowing down. It takes us actually being quiet. It takes us actually learning how to wait and rest in the Lord and by His grace to reflect and to be able to have some assessments in regards to our health as individuals, our health as believers. And there's something about the complexity of our time and there's something about the artificiality of our time that's pushing us into a place that I feel is not safe for us to go as believers. Very clearly, I've been having the Lord talk to me and to my family over the past two years now about the need to be sober-minded and to make a deliberate decision to avoid things that are artificial and complicated and to start learning how to embrace things that are simple and real. The things of the kingdom of God are simple. I didn't say they're easy, but they're simple. They're deep, but they're simple. Jesus said the children could understand them. He said, honestly, unless you become like one of these little children, he said it's impossible for you to even be able to enter into the kingdom. There's this childlike innocence that we have to have. And how many of you know that kids don't gravitate towards things that are artificial and complicated? They gravitate towards things that are simple and real. That's why when you spend upwards of $200 on the big Christmas present, they're more entertained with the box that it came in than the present itself with all the bells and the whistles. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's why uh, every kid uh, would rather have you sit down and have their parent read them a book than just to be given a, 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 an electronic device that will read it for them. Every kid desires things that are simple and real. And I've talked to you a little bit before, but everybody in this room, no matter your age, you're all a kid compared to God. And your relationship with God is your father. He sees you as a child. And there's this childlike quality on the inside of all of us that I believe is crying out for things that are simple and real. Crying out to be able to avoid the complexity and the artificiality of our age and to connect with kingdom truths. And one of these things that I think can help us do this is a proper understanding of hope. What I have found in working with brothers and sisters in my own life Included because, you know, when I talk about the church in America, I'm talking about the people that are called Christians living in America. And you know that I'm one of those people. So a lot of the things that I discern that are unhealthy is not me necessarily always just sitting back and watching everybody else. It's me observing my own life and my own family's behaviors. And there's a lot of things in this day and age that we're doing. And what we're doing is, is that we have these, these cravings in our soul. 
We have this, this hunger on the inside of us for things that are simple and real. And all of us are seeking something beyond just being filled. We're seeking to be satisfied. We're seeking to live fulfilled. We're seeking to live lives of purpose and of meaning. And if I put this in one of my favorite uh, analogies to use, which is food, I can explain it to you this way. How many of you have been really hungry before and made a decision to go through McDonald's because it's cheap and it's just convenient? How many of you have done that? Not knocking McDonald's, but, you know, I, I like their breakfast burritos as much as the next guy. But here's, here's the thing that I want to encourage you with. Have you ever gone through the drive through at McDonald's when you've been really hungry? And have you gotten full? Okay, yeah. You know, most of the time it takes at least, you know, four McDoubles and like two, you know, 10-piece chicken nuggets for you to really get full. But you go through there and you, and you feel full, don't you? You have this hunger on the inside of you. And that hunger produces a response, which is you wanting to eat. And if you're in a rush and if you're in a hurry and if you forgot to put the pork chops in the crock pot or whatever it is that you're doing and you, McDonald's is quick and it's convenient and you can drive through and you can order something and you can get full. But how many of you would say that you've ever been satisfied with your meal at McDonald's? Satisfied. You got full, but were you satisfied? This is what I mean with satisfaction. Let me, let me draw some lines for you. Anybody ever smoked a brisket before? Now I'm talking like the, like the real way to do it. Like the one that takes 12 to 13 hours to be able to cook. Has anybody ever done that before? Okay. How, how many of you know that that takes some patient endurance to be able to keep the heat at the right temperature and to go out there and check it and make sure that the flame's not dying out? And, and, and how many of you have ever painstakingly even, even researched the correct way to smoke a brisket. I've actually taken time to study this before. Has anybody else taken time to do this before? Okay, Derek's back there. Thank God you're here tonight, Derek. I have one person that can resonate with me. So you go and you smoke this brisket, and how many of you, one of your significant others, just makes like a dynamite potato salad? Anybody in the house like you or your significant other can make some dynamite potato salad? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, how many of you have somebody in your family that can make like a killer like cobbler or something from scratch? And even like some homemade ice cream, you know what I'm talking about? All right, I'm about to preach, okay? Are you, are you feeling me? So how many of you have actually painstakingly done the whole home-cooked meal process and put that thing on the table. If that's, if that's sliced, you know, uh, you slice the brisket, it's cooked for 12 hours. You got the homemade cobbler, the homemade ice cream, the homemade potato salad, all these things. And you sat down and you enjoyed that meal. That's satisfaction. You get full, but you also are satisfied. I don't know about you, but I've never had that whenever I've had McDonald's. Okay, if you say that you've had that from McDonald's before, I want to pray for you because... There's, there's something demonic going on in your life, and we just want to break it in Jesus' name, and we want you to come to know Jesus, and we want you to be saved and go to heaven and all those kinds of things. Are you understanding what I'm saying? There's something, church, that the culture is trying to feed you that's the equivalent of McDonald's. And if the church is not careful, the church will engage in Jesus' request to Peter. Do you remember whenever Jesus and Peter had this conversation post-resurrection and Needless to say, it was after a really good fish fry. Jesus made the fish. Can you imagine how good that was? And they're on the beach, and Peter and Jesus are having this conversation, and Jesus asks a question. How many of you know that Jesus likes to ask questions? He does. So he asked Peter a question. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to Peter, then feed my sheep. Then he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And 
do you, and Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, then feed my lambs. He said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, I know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. There's this awesome reconciliation thing happening in that Peter has denied Jesus three times and now Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to profess his love for him three times. And it's this beautiful picture when you go and you look at it. But the heart of what's going on is this, is that Jesus is telling Peter that he, he knows that Peter is going to be called to lead in the church. He knows that he's going to be a shepherd of a flock. The same way that I feel that I've been called to lead a company of believers and be a shepherd of a flock. And here's the thing about it, that I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to leaders in the church in America and is asking that question, do you love me? And our response is, Lord, we know we love you. And I believe the Lord is telling us to feed the sheep and to feed the lambs. But here's the thing that I'm committed to and something that God has worked in my heart. And, and it's something that's in line with 30 plus years of solid, deep, meaningful teaching in this house. But it's something that I want to commission you in as well because I don't know if you know this, but part of the commission that Jesus gave to his church is for us to make disciples. And that's not something that's just resting upon the shoulders of staff in a church. That's something that's resting upon the shoulders of believers day to day. On Sunday, I talked about the need for us to have fathers and mothers in the house that are willing to raise spiritual children and and grow them and nurture them and raise them in the admonition of the Lord. And this is what I believe is that we have to be really aware to make sure, especially in the hour that we're living in, that we're not settling for being fed McDonald's when it comes to spiritual things. And we're not settling for feeding our families McDonald's when it comes to spiritual things. And we're not settling for feeding those that we're spiritually parenting McDonald's when it comes to spiritual things. But we need to be focusing on the people that we're pouring into. This core group, I love you guys, this core group on Wednesday. I know that we have like the highest concentration of life group participation in this service. I know there's a lot of life group leaders among us and there's a lot of hungry folks that come on Wednesday nights and they're actively engaging in the things of God. And I believe that you all are pouring into somebody else at some level And it's important for us to slow down and to pay attention and to be aware of areas where the culture around us might be trying to form us and might be successfully forming us more than the Christ that's within us. And I think in one of these things we do to begin to filter out how much of this McDonald's mentality has crept into our lives and into our homes and into our spiritual ministries is we have to be able to talk about hope. The Apostle Paul says that if we... As believers have hope for this life only. We, as believers, are of all people the most to be pitied. He says, we as believers, those that are in Christ, if we have hope for this life only, we as believers are the most pitiful people on the planet. And what I'm finding as I talk with people and as I travel to different places within our country is that there's large, there's large uh, factions of the church at large today that I see filled with more joy and, and, and more celebration in regards to their hope of being able to drive a new vehicle than the hope that they have in Jesus. I talk with people day in and day out that seem to have more of a celebratory response and more of a joy fill their hearts in regards to their hope to live in a particular kind of house or to have a particular type of job or to live in a particular neighborhood. And this is what I can tell you is that it's possible to arrive at a place of having those things and be filled, but not be satisfied. 
There's a reason that Jesus, whenever he called the disciples, said, leave everything that you have, sell everything, and follow me. We think that's radical. We think that's extreme. That's really just following Jesus. And I love it in the church world. We do a really good job of trying to manage this tension of things that were a little bit uncomfortable in the scripture. And we manage it by developing really sticky statements and really good phrases that make us feel better about our choices. And I'm good with that and understand that it's needed. The Christian life is a managing of balance and, and attention to be managed. And we say things like, well, brother, it's important that you understand it's okay to have things. It's just not okay for things to have you. How many of you believe that? I fully believe that. But here's the thing about it. You don't know that things have you if things have you. It's like the young man that I counseled one day, and he told me, you know, and I, and I told him point blank. I had known him for a while, and I said, bro, this particular thing that you're believing about God and about yourself, you're deceived. And he looked at me full of boldness and confidence and Holy Spirit anointing, and he said, man, if I was be- deceived, I just believed that I would know it. You understand that deception, you don't know that you're deceived when you're deceived? It takes you trusting somebody else more than you trust yourself to come out of deception. And how many of you know that this trusting somebody else more than we trust ourselves is supposed to be Jesus? And the trust that we have in God called our faith, our faith-based relationship with God is supposed to speak in and inform every decision that we make in our lives. And when we start talking about hope and we start talking about what the majority of Christians I talk to have a hope for, I gotta be honest with you, the majority of Christians are having a hope for things that are totally temporary and totally carnal. We have a hope and an expectation, a vision for our lives, a vision of success and what it means to win. And at the end of the day, a lot of times that desire and that hope that we have to succeed and that we have to win pales in comparison to what we're supposed to be hoping for via the delivery of the scriptures. Let me read it to you to prove a point. Now that I've got you good and perplexed, and I've got you asking some difficult questions. And by the way, I'm not going to offer a lot of solutions tonight. I'm just going to offer you some things to ponder, some things to think about. Listen to this. I told you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And I love this. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, Titus. You ever read Titus much? Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I'm just going to encourage you with this. I know it's hard and I know it's a struggle. But one of the things that you've got to commit yourself to, especially in the day and age that we're living in, is that you have to crack the Bible another time besides whenever you're here. That's important. I'm going to show you the reason for that with another passage about hope in just a second. Okay? Listen to this. You're going to love this. This is out of the ESV. I'm getting back to basics. I'm not going to read you the Passion Translation because I know it makes some of you nervous. So we're going to read the English Standard Version, okay? I can't get to, to the King James. You're just going to have to forgive me. English Standard is about as close as I can get. But this is what I want to read to you. For the grace of God has appeared. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe the grace of God is a person, not a philosophy? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the grace of God, and he has appeared. Aren't you thankful? Okay, very good. Bringing salvation for all people. Everybody say all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed, everybody say, hope. Waiting for our blessed hope. Is the blessed hope the car that you want to drive? Is the blessed hope the neighborhood that you want to live in? Is the blessed hope the raise at work? Is the blessed hope the whatever? You fill in the gap, right? 
Here, here is going to define for us what our blessed hope is. Because here's the thing i got to tell you. The culture at large will try to define for you what your blessed hope is. The culture at large mingled with the church and with Christianese will try to feed you something that's the equivalent of McDonald's. And I'm telling you to reject it and hold out for the slow-cooked brisket meal. What the scripture says. What authors have spilled blood to share with you. Are, are, are you following me? Say, oh, man. He's talking radical tonight. No, I'm really just preaching the Bible is all that I'm doing. Appearing for, listen, for our blessed hope. Listen to this. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are his own possession, who are zealous for good works. I believe that the church in America needs to hear the words of Jesus again. I believe that the church in America needs to return to the first love of Jesus. I believe there's way too much that has infiltrated pulpits across the nation. And it's not necessarily the words of Jesus, but it's this weird hybrid form of Jesus. I call it Jesus Robbins is who I call it. Do you know who Tony Robbins is? Motivational speaker, how to live your best life, seize your destiny, bring the good now by willpower, those kinds of things. There's so much in the church world. Listen to me, saints. There's so much in the church, at work in the church of America that isn't the words of Jesus Christ. It's the words of Jesus Robbins. Jesus never said that you need to live your hashtag blessed life. Jesus said that you need to deny self, pick up your cross, and follow him. That's what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say to live this life seeking ways that you can get ahead and that you can heap up things on your own lust. Jesus didn't say to allow you, you, you to live a life where you spiritualize your greed. Jesus didn't say to live a life where you spiritualize your, your, your materialism and you're addicted to material things. Jesus didn't say live a life where you can justify and spiritualize your excess. Jesus didn't say any of that. But the problem is is that there's a people of hope that are supposed to be living as representative witnesses, prophetic ambassadors of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. And I have to be honest with you, is that a lot of times when I look at our culture, it's a hard time that I have even separating who's of Christ and who's of the world. Because we've gotten so a hold of a grace message for whatever reason, we think that it's okay now to not pursue living holy. The word holy isn't connected to the root and the religious systems that a lot of you came out of with a holiness movement having to do with your hair and your clothing and all these different kinds of things. The root of the word holy is just this. It means other than. It means sacred. Let me tell you the problem. If you are somebody that ends up living the American rat race. Have you ever heard that term before? Climbing the ladder of success. The problem with winning the rat race is if you win, you're still a rat. If you win the rat race, you're still a rat. And you're not called to be a rat. You're called to be a new creation in Christ. Another type of humanity. Not controlled and, and being able to back into a corner by selfishness and self-centeredness. I think there has to be something that arises in the midst of our American culture because of all the divisiveness that we see in America today, let alone in the church, but just in the culture. Everybody calls each other a racist. Everybody calls each other a bigot. 
People don't know how to disagree agreeably. Where does that all come from? I can tell you where that comes from. Self-centeredness. But see, the church is really quick to point out how the world's doing that. But I don't know if you've noticed, every town that I go to in America still has like 150 churches in it. Because they don't agree either. And they're equally divisive. And they're equally exclusive. Because you believe that it's okay to speak in tongues. And I believe that you should never speak in tongues. And and I believe that you need to do this. And I believe that you need to do that. And we start settling for these these McDonald's supplements instead of actually getting back to what Jesus has to say. And what Jesus is about. There has to be a people of hope that are actually embodying something other than the culture. And it's a problem when people look at the lives of Christians and all they see is more of the same. People that are living with a blessed hope that's about the equivalent of a new car. Let me, get, let me just be honest with you. I have no problem with a new car. But I have problem whenever there's more cause for joy and celebration in your life over a new car than you celebrating with the same joy and expectation and celebration as you begin to ponder and allow your mind to go to that blessed day when we see the Son of God coming in glory on the clouds and the kingdom of heaven being established on the earth. I see more people getting excited about God's stuff than they do His personhood. I see more people get excited about the hand of God moving in their life than seeking His face. Like David said, this one thing will I, will I do to seek you, to inquire in your temple. And so many American Christians are caught in this trap of trying to figure out spiritual formulas so that things will go okay for them. And we fail to read 1 Peter that says, blessed are you whenever you're persecuted for righteousness sake. We fail to read the Beatitudes. We talk about blessing and we leave it at this shallow level. Most of the time when you talk to people and you say, man, I was really blessed today. The first thing they ask you was, how much? What'd you get? What'd you receive? When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. When we talk about being blessed as Christians, we're not talking about the same thing that your secular co-worker says. Have you noticed that blessed has become a non-Christian term as much as it's been a Christian term? I talk to people as secular and as pagan as the day is long, and they talk about how blessed they are. I talk about, I have literally talked to people that worship inferior spirits of the new age variety. And while I'm talking to them, they use as much Christianese as most church people do. What's the difference? What's the separation? Christ, who Jesus is in this hour. And we have to take a good, long, hard look at our lives and and ask ourselves the question, do we look any different? Is the hope that we have on the inside of us noticeable to anybody at all? Or are we falling victim to the rat race that's artificial and complicated instead of grabbing hold of things that are simple and are real? Don't worry, I'm almost done. Here's the other thing that I want to encourage you with. Listen to this. I love this. This is one of, uh, one of the verses that I think we've got to grab a hold of as well. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts... Paul's talk, or Peter's talking here, and he's talking to a group of Christians that are being persecuted for doing the right thing. Novel idea, right? 
that you might actually face some persecution even when you don't deserve it. Crazy to think that that can happen, but it does. But in your hearts, he's telling them, listen, when all this stuff starts happening and you start getting mistreated because of the way that you're living, because unless you've been called some names when you're following Jesus, I want to take a good hard long look at your life and see if you're really following Jesus. Because at some point in time, somebody's going to call you some names. Okay. But in your hearts, this is what he says, that these Christians that are facing opposition, that are facing persecution. Listen, if you're never opposed, you're not living Christian life out loud. If you're never misunderstood, you're never saying anything. (laughs) What we need in this hour are people with the courage of the Holy Spirit to actually live their convictions and live them out loud. I don't know if you figured this out or not yet, church, but the world has no problem being loud. The world has no problem living with the boldness in regards to the things that they believe. And there's this hush-hush, quieted thing that's happened in the church. I don't believe we ever are supposed to exist in a way, and I'm about to show you right here, that matches tone for tone or, 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 or uh, toxicity for toxicity or anger for anger. But there is a need for us to be bold in this hour, not just in what we say, but in the way that we live. And to take a hard, long look in the mirror and ask ourselves the question, are we settling for a McDonald's version of Christianity or are we sold out for the real deal? Are we sold out to actually make our lives a just reward for the Lamb's suffering? Because here's the truth of it. There's so much talk in the American church world today about kingdom now. And stepping into the realities of the kingdom now. That the church in America as a whole has lost the deep sense of conviction around kingdom that is to come. The return of Christ. The return of Christ. And the need for us to be living a particular way as we eagerly expect his arrival. To not fall victim to the drunkenness of the world. In regards to the cares of this life. And the love for things but to allow Christ to be seated in his proper place on the throne of our heart, to allow ourselves to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of heaven, not settle for the scraps of this life. Are you following me? There's a need for us to live in such a way that we are eagerly anticipating the arrival of the Lord Jesus. I talk to some Christians and Christ's return sounds like a bummer to them because they're just maxed out on self-seeking pleasure right now. There's no talk about the return of the Lord. There's no talk about eagerly anticipating his arrival because we have allowed ourselves to be reduced to the level of our comforts. We've allowed ourselves to be lulled to sleep in a digital age of entertainment and customization materialistic customization at our fingertips that we have no hope for the perfected age that is to come and the reality of Jesus. How many of you know that there are some things that you are not going to see fulfillment on in regards to the promises and breakthroughs of God in this life? They're reserved for the kingdom that is to come. What made the the saints of old live with a boldness? And live in in such a holy, other than way. They lived that way because Jesus' return for them wasn't just happy thoughts. It was a reality. The consummation of heaven on earth was not just a nice fairy tale that we say to keep us from being afraid of the dark. It was the thing that we looked forward to in prayerful anticipation each day. 
It's sad when I talk to Christians and you talk about Christ's return and it sounds like a bummer to them. It sounds like Jesus is going to show up and all my life is going to be over now. All the things that I enjoy is going to be over. Are you kidding me? Do you not have fellowship with Christ? Do you not know that the same guy that created all of this and how awesome it is is coming to put everything back into its perfect order? How amazing that's going to be to commune with him, to live with him. But what happens is, is that we've reduced our hope to the things that American materialism can provide. We've reduced our hope to what Amazon can deliver on our porch. We've reduced our hope to what Google can answer. We've reduced our hope to being liked on the job. I just want everybody to like me because Jesus was so likable everywhere he went. He was killed. They killed him. They crucified him. Are you following me? Paul says to some, you're going to be this intoxicating aroma of a good thing that they want in their life. And others, they're going to smell of your life and they're going to say it's death and it's repugnant. They're going to push you away. Welcome to being one with Jesus. Welcome to what I feel the backbone of the American church is missing. Is that our hope is the equivalent of our digital shopping cart being filled with our wish lists and having X amount of presents under the tree. I think the best thing for some of us is they have no presence under the tree. And learn how to worship the greatest gift of all time whose name is Jesus. Listen to me, church. If Jesus is not the center of the church, then the church is no longer the church of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is no longer the head of the church, then it's no longer the church of Jesus Christ. I think, Victory Life, we have an amazing opportunity to be something different in this hour. I think we have an amazing opportunity to live in the midst of a culture that is eroding. I don't watch the news. I hate watching the news, but every now and then I just feel like I have to be informed and whenever I click and I see what's happening and the level of eroding that's taking place and what people in my generation, the millennial generation, the generation under me that are the future and ones that are gonna inherit the land and be leaders in the church, and what they believe about what it means to follow Christ. What they mean it believes to actually be a person of integrity. I can't help but scratch my head and ask, is the church doing its job? Is the people that are in the house week after week actually modeling this with their life? Do we have spiritual fathers and mothers that love the next generation enough to sit down with them and say, look, you need to learn how to do this thing. Do we have people that love us enough to tell us the truth? You can count me as one of those people. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I see some things. And listen to me. This message is not directed at you per se, but it's directed at us as a people. And there's something that we have the ability to model. How many of you believe that where you go to church here is a good church? How many of you believe that this place has a good heart? How many of you believe that we've got the right intentions? But how many of you believe that there's things that we need to grow in? How many of you believe that there's things that we need to improve in? How many of you believe that there's some things that have to happen in our hearts if we're going to be postured for success in this hour in 21st century America? We have to adopt a way of life that is immediately 
recognizable in its difference than the culture around us. 1 Peter chapter 3, 15. I told you that Peter's writing and what he's saying is to a group of persecuted Christians, here's some things that you need to do. And this is what he says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Listen to me, American church. Okay? Listen to me, brothers and sisters of the saints in light. The only way people ask you about the hope that's within you is if it's noticeable. Nobody asks you about the hope that's within you if it's not noticeable. And if you haven't been asked in a while about the hope that's on the inside of you, then it might be time for you to get along with the Lord and pay attention to how you're living and pay attention to what you're doing in your day-to-day existence. Pay attention and ask yourself the question, when's the last time I legitimately shared the love of Christ with somebody? When's the last time I, this little light of mine, I let it shine, not hide it under the basket? Are you following me? That's a little song we learned as a kid. It's one of the most important songs in the church world, I feel. We need to start singing it again. Kylie, can we add that to the list? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? When's the last time you let your light shine? You'll know because people ask you, what's up with you? Why are you different? What's going on in your life? Now, listen to me. There is a spirit... I told you this wasn't going to be long, right? This is awesome. It's okay if it's long as long as it's good. It's just when it's long and it's bad that everybody wants to check out. And I know that a lot of these things are making you think and your you know, toes are being crushed. Try having these conversations with the Lord that I have. Because you know he starts talking to me about this first before I tell you, right? Are you following me on that? Okay. Are you guys okay? Do you need a breather? Do we need to take a break and come back? Intermission? And then we'll come back for part two? Okay. This is the kind of message that uh, is equivalent to like the Jesus message. Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part of me. And everybody left except the 12. And then Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, you guys are going to go too? And I love Peter's response. I love it because it's just the truth. It's the innocence of his heart. This is what he says. Lord, we have nowhere else to go. We went all in on this thing. Man, I, I want to pastor a group of people that have gone, have gone so all in on this thing. That whenever we actually start saying things like this in boldness and we get uncomfortable, our immediate response is, well, it's too late now because we're already in this thing. And we're just going to have to commit to it. And we're just going to have to walk it out. Listen to me. There is a spirit at work in the culture today. Remember, I'm talking about American culture. There's a spirit at work in the culture today that is not the Holy Spirit, but is deceiving the people of God that are supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you what its name is. It's called a political spirit. Because let me tell you something, and I'm going to say this, and this is going to be hard, and it's going to hurt you, so pay attention, all right? All right. The people on one far side of the aisle, okay, we'll just call it the right side, One far side of the aisle, you have to be careful because if you're in this camp for too long, you find yourself moving towards holding picket signs and calling names. Protest, right? If you hang out too far on this side of the aisle, you find yourself holding picket signs and calling names. But there's something that happens whenever both sides have a hard time with you. And that looks like actually living the cruciform life of Christ. Because I don't know if you know this or not, Jesus wasn't able to conveniently fit in anybody's box. 
When the religious right of his day and the Jewish leaders said, who should we pay taxes to? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus put something back on them that they did not expect. He said, give to Caesar's what's Caesar's and give to God's what's God's. And they hated him for it. But then when you had this group over here of loosey-goosey, hedonist, secularist, pagan people that wanted to practice all of these things, Jesus wasn't afraid and he entered into their world and he healed them and he forgave adultery and he did all these things, but he never allowed himself to condone their lifestyle. Jesus always finds himself strategically not even in the middle of those two groups, but actually a tier beyond it. It's called the realm of the kingdom of God. It's called a step higher. So the best place to be is whenever both groups want to crucify you, because at that point in time, you might actually be following Jesus. And I've told you before my own personal take on this thing. I don't worship the elephant and I don't worship the donkey. I live a life in prayerful devotion to the lamb of God. My promise and security is in who the lamb is. Because if you hang out too long with elephants, you end up stepping in their poo. And if you hang out too long with donkeys, you end up getting kicked by them because they're very reactive and they want to kick you about everything. But there's also a lot of poo in the elephant group that we mean to make sure that we wipe off of our boots and we take off the elephant poo walking boots and we take off the donkey walking poo boots and we actually put ourselves in the gospel of peace shoes and we follow Jesus wherever he goes. Should Jesus inform your voting? Absolutely. Should Jesus inform your morality? My God, I hope so. But here's the thing that you have to know and that you have to understand is there's a political spirit at work today that wants you as a Christian to be just as nasty as the group that's opposing you whenever you give a defense for the hope that's within you. And social media, I love it to pieces for a lot of different ministerial components that it can be, but it also is just a cesspool for people to operate at their human lowest because of the lack of true bravery and confidence it actually takes to make a statement on there because I get to hide behind my screen. And brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we're not any different. So I believe if you live differently, people are gonna ask about your life. They're gonna ask for you to give a reason that you're living that way because of the hope that's within you. But here's a beautiful thing that Peter says that I feel like we overlook. This is what he says. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that's within you. And he says this, yet. Why did he say yet? Because he's gotta qualify something. Because there's people that love to speak the truth, but don't like to speak the truth in love. And Christ's followers are always called to speak the truth, but the truth in love. So Peter says this, always be prepared to give a report or a reason for the hope that's within you. He says this, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The political spirit will stir you because of the fear Whenever you see how quick the culture's eroding, the political spirit will stir you up and speak from it. And how many of you know that every lie has to have enough of the truth in it to be believable? So the political spirit knows enough of the truth to get you to bite and to speak out the truth. But here's the thing. The political spirit doesn't adhere to the word of God because in this it says whenever we speak the hope that's within us and how many of you know the hope that's in us is Jesus and Jesus is the truest thing on the planet then you can't, so you can't speak anything more true than talking about Jesus and the reason that you're following Jesus. This is what the apostle Peter said that was crucified upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ, him and his wife both because he said, I'm not worthy to die the same death that my savior did. I think I'm gonna put more stock in what that guy says 
than the news anchor on Fox or CNN. I'm going to put more stock in what he says than what mommy and daddy said about the political system in the United States. I'm going to put more stock in what he says than what my religious relatives have taught me. I'm going to put more stock into what people are actually following God are saying. And he says, look, if you live differently... So American Christians, as you're living differently in the middle of this society, he says this, be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within you, but never compromise the character of Christ. Do it in gentleness and with respect. Say, yeah, but they're getting nasty about it. I know they're getting nasty about it. It's time for you to get holy about it. I said, I know, but they're being very argumentative and they're being very malicious. I know you need to go out of your way to find an incredibly radical way to bless them. But they don't agree with me. And they don't like me. And Jesus said, if you love those that like you, big whoop. I tell you to love those that don't love you. And to bless those who disagree with you. This is the call of Christ. And I see us living in the middle of the culture and with brothers and sisters in Christ have the same trigger finger for accusation, for ugliness, for things that compromise the character of Christ as the people across the aisle that we're screaming about. Where's Christ in the middle of all that? Where's Christ doing these protest marches and boycotting everybody? And griping and complaining about everything. And talking about how the country's going to hell in a handbasket. Where's Christ in the middle of all that? Christ is in the middle of all that. I tell you where he is. Naked on a cross. Beat half to death. Looking out on a group of people that have disagreed with him. And is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's where Christ is. Christ is looking at the woman caught in the act of adultery with religious zealots having stones in their hand ready to kill her and Christ is making a decision to get down in the dirt with her and to speak to the mob and say if you're without sin cast the first stone Christ positions himself between the far left which is the woman caught in the act of adultery and the far right people that are addicted to their own sense of righteousness Jesus strategically puts himself right in the middle and what he does is he brings a word of correction to people that are no longer operating in mercy and in grace. And he brings a word of healing, but a word of truth for the woman that's living a lifestyle of sin. Amen. Your faith has saved you. Now go and sin no more. Christ doesn't compromise. He doesn't compromise with either side. He puts himself, it's part of the, part of the benefits of being king of the universe. As you don't have to pick a party. It's part of the benefits of being king of the universe. You never get elected. You understand that Jesus is not Christ elect. He's king forevermore. You don't get to elect him. So people of God, we have to draw a word from the Psalms that says we put not our trust in princes or in a son of man whose life goes out in a flash. But We have to put our hope in who God is. And we have to make a decision to live lives of devotion to him. Not to get pulled head deep into the midst of the culture war, but to allow ourselves to walk into a battle of the culture war with the word of shalom. To walk into the midst of divisiveness in this country and to speak a word of restorative healing. To speak a word of hope. Never compromising holiness, 
but never allowing ourselves to operate with a holier-than-thou attitude. Never dishing it out because it came to us first. I talk to Christians and I hear phrases like, well, they started it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, they, they got nasty first. Or they posted that on my page first. And I'm thinking, guys, are we allowing the culture around us to form us or the Christ within us? And I believe that it has everything to do with where we are putting our hope. Is our hope which causes joy and celebration? Is it, is it that the right person gets elected in office? Is that our hope? Or is our hope in the return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron and that his enemies are gonna become his footstool? I see the church erupt in joyous shouts and celebration whenever things go our way, but silently forget who God is whenever things don't. I think it's time for us in this hour to reject the lies of the culture that lead us toward the artificial and the complicated and to get back to a simple reality that those that knew him face to face walked with. Amen. A simple reality of those who walked with him on the shores of Galilee lived with. Not to run the rat race, not to get pulled head first by the political spirit into divisiveness and anger and fear, but to allow ourselves resolute, filled with the confidence that only comes by the Holy Spirit to be people that live the truth and that walk in shoes of grace. What happens whenever that happens? Well, I fully believe that people see Jesus. And I believe that seeing Jesus is the hope that the world needs. I believe that we're coming into an hour, and an hour that's approaching rapidly, in which being an American and being a Christian won't be the same thing. We have to make our choice now to understand that our loyalty and our allegiance is to Christ first and foremost. Because I believe, as you do, that the blessedness and provision that we have in this country is because of a group of people that decided to seek him first. And the only way for us to return to whatever we think America is supposed to be is for us to seek him first too. Is for us to make sure that our lives are built upon the rock who is Christ. Not the shifting sands of the culture war. Not the seismic shifts of the political process in this country. But people that learn how to live as shalom in the midst of storm. People that know how to release peace in the midst of chaos. People that know how to love because of a deep-seated faith and hope that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. My encouragement to you tonight is this. Take a long, hard look at your life and ask yourself the question, do you have the same level of exuberant hope and joy as you contemplate the return of the Lord as you do when you contemplate your tax return? Do you have the same exuberant hope and joy as you contemplate the return of the Lord, as you do whenever you shop for vehicles online? Do you have the same exuberant joy in your heart for the return of the Lord as you do for that promotion in the workplace? I don't think there's anything wrong with those things that I mentioned, but I think it's wrong for them 
to be a greater hope than the Lord Jesus Christ. How we reject the lies in the midst of a culture that's saturated with idol worship as we get back face to face with the one who's worthy of all worship. And we sing hymns like the one we're about to sing. And we sing it not just from a place of just memory and regurgitation and in with the motions, but we allow ourselves to come into a place of acute awareness on how great our God is and how everything in our life is inferior to him. If you're here tonight and you know that there's a realignment needed in your heart and the things that I've said have made you angry, the things I said have made you uncomfortable, the things I said have made you excited, whatever those emotions are, I don't know, they belong to you, not to me, but the encouragement that I want to give is if you had any kind of emotional, emotional response at all to the things that I said tonight, then I want you to ask yourself this question right now. Is there anything in your heart that needs to be realigned to the things that I said? Just because your initial response is frustration and anger doesn't mean that I'm wrong. Just because your initial response is fear and insecurity doesn't mean that I'm wrong. Just because your initial response is excitement and joy doesn't mean that you're right. <laughs> But how many of you stripping away and hearing the heart of what I'm saying tonight, which granted, I guarantee is relatively unpolished. It's kind of what I like about Wednesday is it's just a little bit more raw material form and you got to figure out how to put it together on your own. It's just kind of how I am. Don't worry, I probably won't be around for forever so you don't have to worry. But if there's something in your heart tonight that you'd say, I think some of the cultures snuck into a seat that Christ is supposed to occupy in my heart. And I'm not okay with that. I think that the throne for Christ in my heart has kind of now been split 50-50. And there's somebody else's rear end that's sitting a little bit closer to Jesus than it should be. Could be you. Could be your job. Could be the level at which the political spirit in this country is aggravating you and moving you and causing you to be bitter and worried and frustrated and angry, all which are not fruits of the Holy Spirit. And you know, tonight there needs to be some realignment. Then my encouragement to you is this. Let's take a few moments here with this one song before we dismiss. And let's allow ourselves to realign to what's eternal. Let's allow ourselves to realign to not things that are temporary, but to things that are of the kingdom of God. And let's remind ourselves that we're people of the cross. Let's remind ourselves that we're set apart, that we're holy, that we're sanctified, that we've been infilled by the very spirit of God to live a life that's supposed to look radically different to the world around us. And let's allow ourselves to gain some joyful anticipation for the day of the Lord's return. Let's allow ourselves to take up that same thing that was happening in the hearts of the fathers of the faith and to seek this one thing, to let the promotion at work kind of just slip to the back of our mind, to let the hunt for the new car kind of just slip to the back of our mind, to allow us finding that house with X amount of square footage kind of shift to the back of our mind, to allow ourselves to forget about all those things that are waiting on you in your Amazon cart, to allow ourselves to stop being angry because the AC needs a touch of Freon. To 
to allow ourselves to not be so upset that the sink is dripping. You know, that good, clean, parasite-free water that's dripping. Isn't it annoying that it's dripping and your attitude's all out of whack because you're going to have to call the plumber because it's dripping? Oh, bless your darling heart. You're going to have to get the sink fixed that pours out non-parasitic, clean water. It's so frustrating, so aggravating. Or that you can't get the lines in your yard mode just right and Mr. Jones next door has a better lawn than you do. Oh, praise God that you live in a house where there's no uh, old uh, landmines hidden underneath the ground that could go off at any time as your kids play. But God forbid that the lines aren't straight in the, in the lawn out front. <laughs> Stop stressing about the little scuff in the new leather chair that you just bought for your living room. Or the fact that your kid took a marker and wrote on it. <laughs> And shift into a place of gratefulness. I know there's a lot of people with problems in the house today. I know there's things that are going on in people's bodies and people's marriages. And you say, well, I can't be thankful for a good marriage today. I don't have one. Or I can't be thankful for a house with air conditioning. I don't have that right now. Okay. Let me just reduce it to the level of something you can be thankful for. Be thankful that Jesus has spilled blood for you. Wrapped both arms around you. And has said, this life is not all that there is. And if you have hope for this life only, you're more pitiful than you know. And get up and sing a song about the day of his return when all things will be put right. And I believe we'll live in a world that we don't even need air conditioner anymore because it'll be perfect weather all the time. Things not being totally right right now, guys, is what keeps you in a place of joyful anticipation for his return. Things not being 100% right now is what keeps you longing for the day that the thing that you've served and believed for your entire life is revealed to you with eyes blazing, arms open, and the marriage between heaven and earth is consummated. And you sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and every tear was worth it, every sacrifice was worth it, every night not sleeping on your knees fighting for your marriage was worth it. When Jesus looks in your eyes for all eternity and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You kept yourself unstained by the world. You didn't buy in to the culture of materialism and you didn't drink from the cup of this gluttonous age, but you let your heart burn for the things that are eternal. Welcome home. Come into the joy of your master. That's the resolve that the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to live with. So I, in the name of the Lord Jesus, reject the lie of American consumerism, consumption, manipulation, political spirit. And I say in the name of the Lord Jesus that there would be a company of people tonight that would rise up with such a fervent spirit and a deep-seated hunger for the things of God, that we wouldn't be satisfied any longer with things that are just filling, but that we would long for those things that satisfy our soul. In line with the words of the saint of old, we say our hearts would never truly rest until they rest, O Lord Jesus, in thee. Jesus, be magnified in this place. Jesus, be glorified in this place. You're worth every cost. You're worth every sacrifice. You're worth every persecution. You're worth all the scorn. You're worth all the rejection. Jesus, you have first place in this assembly, in this house. You will find people. 
people here that are on fire for you. Lord, you will find people here that are not afraid to preach the gospel. Jesus, you will find people here that aren't afraid to sell it all, give it all, be it all, do it all. Jesus, you find people here that are surrendered servants. Jesus, you find people in this house. Lord, hear my cry. You find people in Victory Life Church in Duran, Oklahoma, that will not rest until we see the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We reject the lie of the culture. We reject the lie of the deceiver. We reject the lie, Father, of this corrupt age. And we say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Somebody lift up a hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love you. Let's worship him.